0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's really good to be here with you. I want to welcome everybody watching at home right now or later on down the road. We're really glad you're tuning in. Before we jump into the message that I feel like God's laid on my heart for all of us, I want to talk for a moment about kind of our country. All right, this will be really quick. But in the book of Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14, I think it's 2nd Chronicles, it says this, let me get out of the way of the TV, it says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, leave this up with me for a second. Real quick, I I don't wanna take an Old Testament text about Israel and hijack it and apply it to the United States of America. This was not a prophecy about the United States of America, but it does point out some principles for us today. Is anybody else tired of the fighting in our country? Okay, like we can agree on that, right? Like I thought I'd get a little more than that, right? That's all right, it's all right. You're still warming up, you're still warming Thank you, thank you, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It begins with us. It begins with you and it begins with me. Now, if you're at all like me, I feel powerless, like I'm not, I'm not a president, I'm not even a congressman, I, um, I don't really have a lot of influence. But where I do have influence is in my heart, my family, and here. And you have influence in your heart, in your family, and wherever it is you work, and whatever it is that you do. So this verse points to us, I think, and God calls us to say, look, if you are the people of God, And most of you here are, some of you are still pursuing that. If you will just humble yourself, not pointing a finger at any political leader or any person you believe is the problem, but if you will humble yourself, if you will pray, if you will seek God's face, then God will listen. So I don't have any influence over every church in Avon, let alone the United States, but I have influence here. So here's what I'm gonna call us to do, ready? For the next three weeks, every Tuesday of this month, for the next three weeks, I'm gonna ask you to repent and fast and pray. Here's what that looks like, all right? You can join me, you can not join me, but as for me in my house, I'll be doing this. You're gonna fast at least one meal. What that means to fast is to skip something. You're gonna literally not eat. I'm gonna do the whole day, you can do what you want. If you wanna do just one meal, that's fine. But you're gonna take that same time frame, and you're going to spend it praying, and you're gonna ask. You're gonna ask the Lord to move and to act on our behalf for your family, for your community, for our church, for your workplace, for our nation. What you're gonna do in that time is you're gonna repent. To repent means to turn, to literally to apologize, but an apology is not enough, right? It's not enough to just say, well, I'm sorry I did it. To repent doesn't mean to just say I'm sorry, it means to say I'm sorry and to do something different. And you're gonna repent for our nation and for your own sins. And you may say, but I've not done any of the things that people are upset about. I understand, but first of all, repentance always has to begin in our own heart with an acknowledgement and all of the ways that we have sinned against God, and all of the ways that we've gotten off course from what he desires for us. It begins first with us, but then for our nation, you may be thinking, well, what, what, what does that have to do with me per se? Well, I know this, throughout the Bible, we see certain biblical heroes, guys like Daniel, <clears throat> excuse me, guys like Nehemiah, and there are others, but they fall down on their face and they pray and they ask God to forgive the nation for stuff that happened before they were born. Think about that for a second. There's nothing wrong with praying and saying, God, I realize that my people have gotten off track. I realize my people have forgotten you. And so, God, I can't own what they did, but I could say on behalf of the people, God, it's time for us to turn our hearts toward you. So then here's the prayer. Ready? I want you to pray, and you may not be able to remember all this, and that's fine. I actually believe I put all of this in the article that is online that I wrote this week. You can find it on Facebook or on our website. I think it might even be listed on our app today, if I'm not mistaken. But here it is Ask God to heal our nation our churches, and our world. Ask him to give us grace to forgive each other. Jesus says, to the degree to which you forgive others, I will forgive you. Let that sink in for a second. And then for us to be unified under God's leadership. And I realize you can't impact anybody else choosing to do that, but you can impact you choosing to do that. And then ask for wisdom for our newly elected elected officials. Whether you voted for them or agree with them or not, ask that God would give them wisdom to lead us in a way that is pleasing to him. Pray for that. Ask for us to discern how to honor them. Did you know the Bible actually says that? To honor those who are in leadership over you without dishonoring God. So you don't compromise who God is, but you ask for God to use them, to give them wisdom, to help them, to help lead us. Ask for unity in our church, justice for all the oppressed. These themes are consistent from Genesis to Revelation. These themes are the themes that we're gonna pray about as a church. Are you with me? Are you with me? Let's do this. All right. Yeah. Let's seek the Lord right now and then jump into the word. I believe he's put on my heart. Heavenly father, we love you. We need you. God, we need you. I'm tired of the fighting and the backbiting and the devouring. I'm tired. I'm tired of it. God. But I know this, our nation has lost its way as a whole and maybe even some of us. And at times, even myself. So, Father, I pray first, Lord, may it begin in us. May this day, this message right now be a coming back to you for all of us. And God, as we commit our lives again and recommit our lives again to you, maybe for some people receiving Jesus for the first time today, God, do that in our midst. But as we do that, God, we pray that you would do this on the whole. Give our leaders wisdom. God, help us. May 2021 be different. God, may it be a year of peace. May it be a year where we rally together again. Father, I know the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but you desire to bring life that really is life. So God, as we seek your face, hear our prayers, God, and act. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's jump into today's message. Now, if you weren't here last week, uh, I don't really have time to bring you up to speed. You're going to want to go back. Each of these messages builds on the one before. So it's okay. This will be like CSI, where you'll be able to get everything you need to get out of today's message, but there's more to it if you go back and watch previous episodes. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here's the question I want to begin with today. One day, you're going to be sitting on your back porch. Hopefully, you'll be sitting there with your spouse. You'll be sipping lemonade or something, rocking in your rocker. You'll be old. I don't know how old you'll be because whenever you got old, you'll just know you'll arrive there one day. And when you tell your story, what story do you want to tell? Do you know what I mean? Okay, so you're sitting there and you're rocking and you're looking over there and the grandkids have now surrounded and one of them climbs up in your lap and they say, Grandpa, tell me about how you and grandma met each other. Tell me about, and all of a sudden you start to tell a story. What story do you want to tell? Because I know this, you don't get to arrive at your last day and tell the story you want to tell unless today you start living a story that you actually want to tell. Are you with me? On your last day, do you want to look at your grandkids? Maybe not your last day. Let's call it your last chapter, your last 10 years or so. Do you want to sit there and look at your grandkids and say, you know what? <clears throat> I worked 68 hours a week. I built this multi-million-dollar business. Business. I don't know where that came from. Business. <laughs> I built this business. And your kids are looking at their kids are going, yeah, but I don't know my dad. Is that the story you want to tell on your last day? On your last day, do you want your uh, kids to be sitting there saying, oh, yeah, 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 mom was great. She pushed me all the time. I never felt like I was enough, but boy, she drove me hard. Is that what you want the story to be? What do you want the story of your life to be? Roughly 15 or so years ago, there was a a Christian band. They had a song, and the song's chorus, I'll never forget it. It just sticks in my head sometimes. It plays around my head, and it says, this is your life. Are you who you want to be? And it's just a great little question to say, look, you're you're going somewhere. Are you going there on purpose? Now this series is based off a book by a pastor named Craig Rochelle. He leads Life Church, one of the largest churches in the United States, and the book is called Kazon. Kazon. And a lot of you went out and got Italian food last week, and that's because you misunderstood the word. So the word Kazon is a Hebrew word. It comes from Proverbs chapter twenty-nine, verse eighteen. Here it is in the King James version, and it says, "Where there is no vision, that's the word Kazon, the people perish." Now I never want to take a passage out of context. This doesn't exactly mean this. You can look at different translations and you'll see some different wording. But in essence, the word kazon literally means vision, revelation, or dream. Now, what that means in that context is where there is no voice from the Lord, where there is no vision from the Lord, where there's no revelation from the Lord, the people perish, the people get lost, the people end up not where they're supposed to be. That's essentially the essence of the verse. And it's talking about really where Israel is. And look, if you don't hear from the Lord, if you don't obey the Lord, if you don't follow the Lord, you're going to end up in a bad place. So what we want to do throughout that series is say, I believe that God has created you and I believe that God has created you on purpose. I believe that you are not here on accident, that God has a dream, a revelation, a vision for your life. And the question is, are you living towards that? or Are you living towards something else? Because if you live towards something else, you're going to get to your last day and you aren't going to have a story to tell. Not the one you want. Not the one that God wants, not the one that God created you for. So what we're gonna do over the next three weeks is I think Craig Rochelle. this isn't biblical, all right? Okay, that came out wrong. This isn't not biblical. And this is Craig Groeschel saying what he sees over and over and over again as a pastor and as a leader is he sees these three things right here, your core values, your past experiences, and your spiritual gifts. And where these three things intersect right there in the middle is where he tends to see God is moving in somebody's life almost over and over and over again every single time. So what we're going to do is we're going to take one of these for each of the next three weeks and dig into how is God redeeming what you've been through? How has God uniquely gifted you through the power of the Holy Spirit, and what is God doing in the way that he naturally made you in the world? And that's where we're going to be today. talking about this thing called core values. Have you ever noticed that there are things that you are passionate about that other people aren't passionate about? And doesn't it drive you crazy on social media? Why does everybody not care about this? I am so glad that God has surrounded me with other gifted and talented leaders and our elders. I'm so thankful. Brett Cadwell sitting down here on the front row, he is so different than me, and I am so thankful that he is. And we could drive each other up the wall because of it, but I am so glad that God brought him here. He makes me and he makes us better because he's here. But he's passionate about things I'm not passionate about. When I see a speed bump, he sees a sinkhole. And I'm so glad because he pushes us to make sure that the the sinkhole becomes a speed bump, so we can hit it and keep going, because otherwise, I'd ignore it. I'm so glad that God has put my wife into my life. My wife believes people ought to be thanked for what they do. I believe that people in my head should be thanked for what they do, and my wife will spend Countless hours losing sleep to make sure that everybody gets a thank you note that deserves one. Even sometimes, if it's six months or eight months late, she'll sit down. If you ever got a thank you note, I can almost guarantee it was from her. If it wasn't legible, it was probably from me. If you could read it, it was from her. And I'm so thankful that he's put that passion on her heart. But if she wasn't in my life to do that, it wouldn't happen. But I'm passionate about other things that my family does, that our church does, because I'm passionate about them. Have you noticed that? Do you have things? that you just feel like God is placed inside you? Here's the way Craig Rochelle defines core values. He says, these are those things that you're willing to take a stand for even if it means facing risk, or even losing something that you really care about. They are the values that are hardwired into your soul. There were 27 people, nine families, almost five decades ago, who were challenged by Chapel Rock Christian Church to come into little farm town Avon, Indiana, and plant a church. Now, there are some of you who tried church planting somewhere in the past. You were part of a family that did that. Some of those went well. Some of them didn't. What I'm about to say is not a comment on your experience, but I know this. Every successful church plant has to have those founding people have one critical core value. They all have to be captains of the ship. And what that means is they all have to believe if it goes down, they go down with it. That no matter what happens next, it's going to be their efforts, their energy, their lives that are going to make it go. And I'm so thankful. We are all standing here today. Those of you watching at home, you are taking part in the blessings of the commitment of those 27 people who came here to plant Kingsway Christian Church without a pastor. We wouldn't be here if they hadn't. Could it be that God has placed an idea, a thought, a dream, something in your heart? He's made you in a certain way, but it's going to take you not trying to become someone else, but living out who God has made you to be to make this world a better place, more like the kingdom of heaven. If you were to look at the biblical heroes of the faith, all of them were really passionate about certain things. I want to be clear before I go through this list, okay? Okay. What I am not saying here is when God tells us to do certain things, we get to pick and choose the ones we're excited about. Because if we did that, there are lots of things we would all avoid. That is not what I'm suggesting here. We must be obedient to the Lord in every possible way. However, there are certain things that you are gifted and called to do. Have you noticed that? I'll just give an example. All of us are called to be generous, every single one of us. But did you know there are actually certain people who have the gift of generosity? It is not a chore for them to be generous. In fact, you have to restrain them from giving it all away. It's just who they are. There are certain people, they just have the gift of service. We're all called to serve, but they're the kind of people, it is not a duty to them. They don't have to just be obedient to the Lord to serve. It just pours out of who they are. And that's true for so many different areas. Just give a quick list real quick. This guy in the Bible, he's the last of the judges and he's right before the king. In fact, he anoints the first two kings, Saul and David. His name is Samuel. And at the, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 12, at the, as he anoints King Saul, he literally stands up and he gives a speech. And here's what the speech says. So I'm here, he's standing before all of Israel, to tell the truth about me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed Have I ever stolen someone's ox? Have I ever taken someone's donkey? Have I ever oppressed or mistreated anyone? And it goes on. Have I ever taken bribes from someone and looked the other way about something? Tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. I'll make it right, right here, right now. Samuel is very concerned about his own integrity. It is a really big deal to him. By the way, and I won't get into this this week, if I have time I will next week, a lot of this comes from his past experiences and what he went through in the house of Eli, how God used those things to birth in him something new. We'll get to that next week. But King David, you know King David, right? The second king, first one didn't work out so well. He was a man after God's own heart, but he was a man of great failure. He was a man of great passion, but there's one passion he had above all else. Psalm 27, verse 4, King David says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only, some translators say, this one thing do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, Amen. to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple, David was a man of many things. He was the true Renaissance man. He was a warrior. He was a leader. He was just great in many, many, many ways. And he also failed greatly in many, many, many ways. But boy, was he passionate about the presence of God. In his psalm of repentance, in Psalm, I believe it's 51, I think it's right around verse 4, he even prays, like, against you, O Lord, alone have I sinned. What? What? You committed adultery and killed a man to cover up your sin. How can you say against you alone? Because he could not imagine losing God's presence. He says, please take not. Don't take away your Holy Spirit from me. Like you could take anything. Take my kingdom. Take my life. Take anything. But God, don't let me be removed from your presence. Think about other people. Peter, man, We love to joke. I love to joke because I feel a lot like Peter at times. Peter was just passionate, right? But he's often opening his mouth and sticking a foot in his mouth, isn't he? Oh, I know what we should do at the transfiguration. We're going to build a house for Moses and Elijah. And she's like, come on, Peter, that's not what this is about. But you know what Peter was passionate about? Action. He was not going to dare hear Jesus talk about something and he wasn't going to move on it. He's going to move and he's going to move now. He's probably going to move too quick. But he just is passionate about God being praised and the right things happening. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it right now. What about more modern-day examples? What about like Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa, for those of you who don't know her, go look her up. She's been passed away now for a while. You, you may be too young to know who she is. But she just literally went to India and served these very sick and broken people. She was so passionate about compassion. She gave her whole life to this thing. What about Billy Graham? Now, how many of us are here today because Billy Graham had a ministry to evangelize the lost and he was passionate, he was not gonna back down from that. And many of your parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles were influenced by him. Now, not all of us are gonna be Mother Teresa's and Billy Graham's, but are we gonna be faithful to whoever God has called us to be? Maybe you're sitting there going, I don't know what it is for me. Maybe you know exactly what it is. Here's two questions that might help guide you, right? Question number one. What stirs up righteous anger inside of you? Like, when you see it on the news, you think to yourself, why is everybody else not angry right now? What, when you see it, when you hear it, it just, brr! Now, I want to caution here. Just because you get passionate about it doesn't make it righteous. Right? Righteous anger means I'm angry because it upsets the Lord. It is evil in his sight. So, I have to make sure that the thing I'm passionate about, like, I was really mad the Colts lost yesterday. I don't think God cares that much, okay? I'm gonna be really mad tonight when the Browns lose. I'm just saying, all right? But I don't think God cares very much. He cares about the players, but he's not real worried about who wins. What stirs up righteous anger inside you? When it happens, you're just not okay. You are not okay. Here's another one, though, because you can't just be angry all the time, right? What brings you the most happiness or joy? When you're doing it, when you're experiencing it, What just makes you feel alive? Perhaps the answer to those two questions can help guide you to the intersection of the way that God made you. Now, here's what I know. If you live your life only for the things that make you angry or the things that bring you joy, you may miss a few things. I believe, and Craig Rochelle said this great in the book, that there are what he calls five spokes of focus. And these five things all have to be in the right order. He tells a story in the book. He decided to start bicycling, like riding, with some other people, and he went out and bought the pants and the shirt and the bike and the whole thing. And uh, he went out riding one day, and one of his spokes was kind of busted. He didn't think much of it. There's a lot of spokes there. But the harder and the longer that he rode, all of a sudden, another spoke broke loose, and then another one broke loose, and then another one broke loose, and next thing you know, he didn't have a bike tire. And you know what happens when your tire goes missing? You don't go very far. And in life, what happens is, you end up on your back porch, Telling about a story you wish you had. Are you with me? If these five things aren't in place, if these five things aren't in focus, if these five things aren't right, the wheels come off. All right, I had a lot of people come up to me after the last service and say, I appreciate the punch in the gut. I love you, Jesus loves you, and I'm really glad you're here. Here they are, ready? Five spokes. The first one is your relationship with God. Actually, let me just camp out here for a second. So if you imagine each of these lining up with one of these spokes, the goal is each of these things has to be healthy in order for the wheel to work. So the first one is your relationship, our relationship with God. Jesus says, when he's approached, he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus makes it very, very clear. It's really simple. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Listen, I just wanna be really, really clear, friends, and especially if you're at home watching. Like, if you don't get this one right, it won't matter if you get the other ones right. I promise you. You cannot fake your way through the other four spokes if this one is off. It will fall apart. God has rigged it against you so that you cannot get the other four spokes right and this one wrong and make it work. You will for a while. I promise you will for a while, but it will not hold up under pressure. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews, we don't even know exactly who wrote it, but the writer of Hebrews says this, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. In other words, most careful. It is really easy in the world we live in, it is really easy to put God on the back burner. I've got to focus on my family. I've got to focus on my job, my health. I've got all these things going on. God understands, and he does. And you know what? We all have off days, all of us. But if God isn't first, it all falls apart. So pay careful attention. Listen, if you're at home right now, and this pandemic has you disengaged from God and his church, I am very concerned for you. And we'll talk about this in the next one, but I'm very concerned for you because you are only a small step away from the life of Jesus Christ called his church. The Bible calls it the body of Christ. And I'm very concerned that if you stay disconnected long enough, the enemy is gonna put a wall between you and him. And I'm just encouraging you, make today the day that you choose to get back on track with him. If you've never gotten on track with God, then make today the day that you get on track with God before it's too late, all right? That's the first spoke. The second spoke is this, our relationships our relationships with others. And this would be a variety of things. In the book of Hebrews, again, the writer says in Hebrews chapter two, verse 24, I believe it is. Yes. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving a meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the day here, notice that in capital D, it's referring to the last day the day of what we call judgment, the day that Jesus Christ comes and he takes a look at all of our lives and he says, what'd you do with what I gave you? Were you good stewards of all that I have put you responsible for? And what they're saying is, the closer you see this day getting, which by the way, every day is one day closer. There you go. That's my prophecy for the day, right? I just became a prophet. Every day, you're one day closer, whatever that means. All right, but the closer you see it getting, the more important it is that you be with other people. And it gives us a little clue. Some people, they just kind of get lazy and they stop engaging. Now, this isn't a fix for everything. Leave this verse up here, if you will. This isn't a fix for everything, but our life groups are amazing. Are they perfect? No way. You know why? Because you're in them. Don't take it personal. I'm in one too. And I'm the problem with every group that I'm in. All right, And everybody can attest to that has been in a group with me. Groups aren't perfect because they're full of broken people. They're full of sinful people, and they've all got backgrounds, and they've all got passions, and they've got core values and issues, and they don't always agree. But I want you to imagine a place where that verse is lived out. That's what our groups do. Imagine a place where other people are in your life considering. They're actually spending their mental energy, their mental power, thinking about how to spur you on to accomplish the vision that God has put in your heart. What would it be like to be in a community with people like that? That's what a group is supposed to do. They're the best friends you've never met. Imagine a group of people that when your marriage is falling apart, they don't just say, well, I hope it works out. They're calling you, they're texting you, they're keeping your butt in line, honestly. They're looking at you and saying, no, you forgive them. No, you gotta go work on this. No, you need a date night. I got your kids, go do this. They're the ones listening to you and saying, I get it. We've got to confront that behavior. That's not okay. When your kids go sideways, because I've heard occasionally kids do that, they're the ones saying to you, look, I've been through some stuff. Or, man, I read this great book. Or, why don't we get some help? I'll go with you. They're the ones that when you go into the hospital, they're showing up to make you a meal. They're helping with the kids or the family or whatever it is. They're the ones coming alongside you, and they're spurring you on. They're saying, don't quit. Don't give up. Now, imagine your life with that, and imagine your life without that. Sitting on your back porch, rocking in the rocking chair, sipping your lemonade, holding the hand of your honey. Don't you want to look at them and say, I'm so glad they were in our lives. Oh, grandkids, let me tell you about, and then you start naming people. There are people in this church that have been that, to my wife and I, and there's so many, I can't name them all, I really can't. And I think about like Patty Beavers, I think about the roads, if any of you know them, they have been so near and dear to us. And I'm so glad, like my kids get to see that now. One day when I'm gone, my kids will tell the story of the influence of those people in our family's life. And I want that for you. I want that for you. Some of you, you've moved here from other cities and other towns and other communities and you don't have connection and you need it. Why wait another day? Go have a hard conversation about how to make this happen today. All right, the third one. Don't worry, it gets more uncomfortable. Okay, the third one. (laughs) The third one is our financial life. I told you, I wasn't lying. Proverbs 22, seven says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Ouch. You know what that means? How many of you have bills coming in that are equal to or greater than the salary or the income coming in? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. Just answer the question for yourself. Are you playing the game? I mean, it's, right, it's January, so now we're paying for everything we bought in December for stuff we didn't need. We bought stuff we didn't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like, right? And now we're paying for it, I'm just kidding. But the bills have come in, and you keep doing this, right? My wife and I have worked really, really hard to try to get as debt-free as we could possibly get. And God has blessed us and moved and helped in so many ways. We're still paying for our house and some things like that, but we work really, really hard because one of our core values know, is we wanna be as generous as we could possibly be. We are constantly looking for ways to be more generous. And I can't do that if I'm paying debt for stuff that I don't need. Does that make sense? But here's what I know. Most of us don't sit down and get this right. And God's going to move one day and he's going to say, I want you to go on this mission trip. I want you to invest in this thing. I want you to move over here. I want you to come over here. I want you this. And you're going to say, I can't. And you're going to have all these reasons why. And one of them is going to be money. And the number one cause of divorce, if not number one, now it might be number two. It's kind of teetering on social media. It's been dancing on it for a while now, but it's money. Are you tired of fighting with the person that you love over money? Are you tired of feeling stressed and burdened and overwhelmed with not having enough money? There are answers. That's why we're doing FPU. That's why it's launching here. It is not too late to get signed up. Listen, I'm about to say a word that I don't mean for it to be offensive. It's the biblical word. The Bible says a fool, a fool only keeps hearing the truth but won't listen. The Bible also says, a fool will only learn with many blows to the back, meaning you're going to have to go through a lot of pain before you learn. In other words, don't be a fool. If you've been experiencing pain in your financial life, the wheels will fall off and you'll lose your home. You'll lose your job. You might even lose your faith. Let's get this one right. Go online, go on our app, find a way to sign up and show up get the help you need, I'm telling you, as somebody who's not always done it right, I'm so glad that my wife and I are financially where we are today because of some hard work and some faithful planning to be there. Last week, I told you about this pastor, a retired pastor of a large church, like 30,000, and he offered, um, he offered for me to go to Israel with him this summer. And he's like, man, most of the trip is paid for. You just got to get airfare. Well, I don't know what it's going to cost, but I know it ain't going to be cheap. And I don't know exactly how I'm going to pay for it all yet, but I'm so glad I don't have a mound of debt. My answer is yes, I'm going. I just got to figure out exactly how to pay for it. It's not a debt issue for me. And I'm so glad that this guy wants to pour his life into me and I'm able to respond because I've done hard work up to this point so that I can. Are you with me? Man, I want that for you so bad. But That leads us to our fourth spoke. Am I saying that right? The fourth one? Yes. No, fifth one. Fourth one. Fourth one. Ooh, this one's gonna hurt. Ready? It's our physical life. And this encompasses many, many, many things. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19 to 20. And and I don't wanna hijack a verse. Let me tell you what it means, but let me apply it, okay? It says this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Therefore, honor God with your body. What that means is, see, throughout, really, throughout all of history, when people wanna worship a deity, they build a house for him. Well, there's only one deity, God. And he says, my house is you. And when you come to God in faith in Jesus Christ, when you go into the waters of baptism, come up out of the waters, you become filled with God. He literally takes up residence in you. And what Paul is saying is, so do something with this thing that's pleasing to him. Now, some of y'all have a messed up view of this. You think to yourself, I'm gonna smoke what I want. I'm gonna drink what I want. I'm gonna eat what I want. But so worst that happens? I'll go see him sooner and that's better, right? Right? Some of you are like, stop it, pastor. No, this is the greatest resource you will ever steward for him. It is. What good is a super nice house and a super nice car and a super nice bank account if you die 20 years sooner than you could have? What if you never make it to the back porch with your honey? Because you didn't steward this well. You can't control a coronavirus. You can't control the ice cream truck hitting you after church. You can't control a heart attack. By the way, I don't want to go, right? Because if I make it through the wreck, the worst thing that happens is, hey, we got to eat it before it goes bad, guys. Come on, let's get on it. Certain things you can't control, but what can you control? I'm telling you from experience, if you've been to this church long, you know, in 2014 and 15, we went through a hard season as a church. And I chose um, to put my health aside so that I could serve the church and my family and try not to let those two spokes fall off. I actually think in hindsight there was a better answer, but that was the way I chose to go. And over the next two or three years, I put on roughly 30 pounds. And My doctor kept telling me, Matt, if you don't get your um, cholesterol under control, I'm gonna have to put you on medicine. I kept saying, I'm not going on medicine. I'll die early, I won't go on medicine. And my wife one day looked at me and she said, um, do not leave me without the husband and the father for these boys. So when the quarantine hit, I was like, okay, this is my chance, I'm gonna have some extra time to focus. And I'm gonna be honest, all I did was, I I just started Weight Watchers, I just started exercising a little bit. I lost roughly 30 pounds, and then I found five of them over the holidays. (laughs) It turns out they were hiding in the Oreos all along, who knew? (laughs) But this is the one you're gonna wanna put off, right? Everybody went out and bought a membership. A week ago, would you just make it a focus? Would you just do something about it? Because your kids, your grandkids, they need you. Let God determine the last day of your life. I don't wanna get there one day and he says, what are you doing here? (laughs) Okay, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) But seriously, take this serious. All right, is that too painful? Fifth spoke, fifth spoke, here we go. It's your work life. And this includes your volunteer service and raising a family. Right? These are the duties that God has given us on this earth. Did you know that work existed before sin? Like we don't work because sin entered the world. It's like, great, thanks Adam and Eve. No, work existed before sin. God created us for work. You ever sit around too long and get bored? Do you know why many men die after they retire, honestly? Because they don't know what to do with themselves. God created you to do stuff. He did. Take a look. Paul says this, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. That right there is your new life verse. Paul's saying, you know what? I don't care about anything else. Everything else in this life is irrelevant unless I finish the task that God has given me. God didn't give you the task of being the lead pastor of Kingsway Christian Church. Who did he give that task to? Me. But he gave you the task to be the husband of your wife, the wife of your husband, the parent to your children, the owner of your company, the employee in your position. He gave you those responsibilities. And this is why Paul encourages us and says, don't work as though you're working for man. Don't worry about whether your boss sees you and what you can or can't get away with. Work as though you're working for God. Make sure he's pleased with your work. In other words, see it as a task that he has given you. And if your work life is off, your whole other part of your life will be stressed. I promise you, you'll go home carrying burdens and being overwhelmed and you won't be able to do the other ones well. I brought this up not because I wanted to talk about where we are as America. I brought this up because I got this analogy a long time ago. And this whole message has come from a lot of hard lessons I've learned. I have not always done this well. Sometimes I do still, and sometimes I don't. But if I were going to balance this baseball bat on my hand, ooh, aren't you impressed? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to the circus after I uh, retire. (laughs) The only reason that I can do this is because Number one, I'm staying focused. And number two, I'm making small adjustments. It is literally impossible to stand here and not move and keep everything in balance. I have to keep adjusting all the time in order for it to happen. But I promise you, and this isn't fake, as soon as I stop watching, I can only balance it for so long. Try it at home, see if I'm faking it. You can only balance it for so long without looking because it's your eyes and your body in sync that allow you to make the adjustments. If you lose focus on these things, the whole life is gonna fall apart. You have to keep all of them in order and make small adjustments all along the way in order to keep everything in balance. Now, here's what I wanna do. I wanna go back through these five real quick, and I'm gonna give you a little test. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask you just five simple questions about each one, and you're gonna score one point for each one. If it's yes, Give yourself a point, and then what you're going to do is see where you need to make your small adjustment, all right? So at the end, you might have five points on one and two points on one, and you're probably not going to have all of them with zero points. If so, man, I want to talk to you. I want to figure out how you've done it. But you're going to see where you need to adjust right now in order to bring everything into alignment the way that God has called you to. Now, let me just also say, if you have maybe four or five of these that are all like fours and fives, honestly, you need to meet with a pastor. We might even need to get you professional coaching or help of some sort, because that tells me that everything in your life is out of control, something catastrophic has either happened or is about to happen, and don't go another day without getting help before it's too late, before you are distant and fully separated from God. Like, let's take steps to get you the help you need, okay? All right, first step. Number one, your relationship with God. Ready? This isn't foolproof, just a question. I usually feel distant from God. I don't spend much time praying or reading the Bible. I'm inconsistent in my relationship with God. I struggle with doubts about God. I'm not involved in a church. And by the way, attending occasionally or watching once in a while online, that does not count as involved. All right, rate those. Give yourselves yes or no, one to five, how you do? All right, you got that? Kind of set the number aside. You don't have to tell anybody, you can if you want to. Let's go to the second one. Spoke book number two, our relationship with other people. Right? I'm in one or more painful or destructive relationships. I often feel lonely. In few or none of my relationships, am I helping others draw closer to Christ? Nor are they doing that for me. I do not have a mentor. I fear intimacy. All right, you got a number? Let's go to the third one, our financial life. I carry credit card balances from month to month. I feel financially hindered from doing some things that God wants me to do. I'm often worried about finances. If I didn't have an income for one month, I couldn't pay my bills. I'm not tithing 10% of my income to God. Have we got yours? All right, let's move on to number four, our physical life. Let's just move on to number five. I'm just kidding. I'm often tired and worn down. I struggle with sexual promiscuity, smoking or substance abuse. I haven't had a physical in years. I don't exercise regularly. I struggle with a mental illness or have had an unhealthy thought life. I think the four basic food groups are Taco Bell, McDonald's, Wendy's, and KFC. (laughs) Elbows to yourself, all right? You got a number? All right, let's go to the last category. I feel little or no passion about my work. I dream about doing something different. I don't think my work has much, if anything, to do with God. My gifts and passions are underutilized. I don't have a clue what I need to do with this part of my life. All right, you got the area you need to focus on? Here's my encouragement to you. Right now, right now, literally right now. If you need to, pull out your phone or your day timer or however you do your calendar. Would you pick right now a day and a time this week that you're gonna be with God and you're gonna have a really hard and honest conversation and here's what I recommend. Find a quiet place where nobody else can hear you. Sometimes I have to go into mountains or out to the park by my house alone at night so that I cannot play games with God because like all of you, I get tempted. If I think other people can eavesdrop, I might not be fully honest with God. You need a moment to be honest with God and know that he loves you as a good father. He desires for the best for you. But you need a place where you can be really honest with him about whatever it is that just jumped off the page at you and start building a plan to get it right. And you don't have to know everything that's next, but you need an hour probably of an honest conversation with God and then you need to listen to him. Don't do all the talking, all right? Leave some quiet time. And you may say, well, how do I know if it's him? Look, when I die and I get to before him and I get to know for sure, I'll tell you. Here's what I've discovered When God is ready for me to know something, he keeps saying it over and over and over and over again. He'll say it through a song. He'll say it through a sermon. He'll say it through a friend. He'll say it through a staff member. He'll say it through my wife. He'll say it through my wife again. He'll say it through my wife another time. He'll say it again through my wife in another way. And then just to be sure, he'll say it through her one more time. I don't know that he'll speak to you the way he does to me. But there comes a point where I become convicted in my heart, if I don't do this, I'd be sinning. And when you have that deep conviction, you know he's moving. My last thing that I want to say. uh, Years ago, when I was in high school, I got to visit, I think it's Frank Lloyd Wright. I think that's the guy's name. He was an architect. And he built these really cool homes. And I got to visit one called Falling Waters, I think it is, in Pennsylvania. I really recommend you go sometime. We get to tour the house. And the house was built as a cantilever. It's got this thing that sticks out, and there was this river that goes underneath it. And uh, Keanu Reeves would come and visit every once in a while. And Brad Pitt, it was great. Anyway, there's this river. I get ADHD sometimes. Anyway, and... uh, the reason that it would work, even though this was too big and long and heavy, is because there was an anchor back here on this side, so that this could look out. And there was this glass floor here, and you could look down and see the river that like went down through the house. It was really cool. But we call this a fulcrum, a fulcrum. You know what a fulcrum is? It's where you can pivot something. So I want you to imagine for a second and see if I can pull this off. It took me a while, but I got it at last service. All right. Does life ever stay like this? Ah, yeah, it stays a lot like that. Doesn't stay like this very well, does it? Don't. See, told you it doesn't. So this is what we want out of life, right? All right, nobody move. (laughs) Nobody get in a car accident. No schools send my kids home for quarantine. No one get sick. No one get pregnant. No bills better come. Come on. Everything is finally balanced. It doesn't work like this, does it, ever, rarely, ever. When we're following God through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit becomes our fulcrum. And what that means is the Holy Spirit could say to you, you know what, you need to shift over here and put some time into your kids because your kids aren't in a good place. And the only way that this will stay balanced, like work won't fall apart and everything else won't fall apart, is because the Holy Spirit will become your anchor. And he'll hold the pieces together yesterday we gathered with our new elders and our elders from last year and and one of the guys just told a story and i don't have the permission to tell the details but he just said you know i, I regret sometimes that the, a certain thing happened to my family and i had to give a lot of effort to this thing and i just wonder like what, what's going to be the byproduct of that with 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 my kids in the long run and i just wanted to encourage him you know what the holy spirit was your fulcrum you were doing what you needed to do in that moment the holy spirit will counterbalance it it'll be okay And sometimes work is gonna get really overwhelming and stressful, and you might have to go over there and give more of yourself. But be careful it only lasts for a season. Seasons last three or four months, not three or four years, okay? And you might have to go because God gave you that responsibility. You might have to give more for a season, but you gotta come back to balanced at some point. But you're not gonna live there You're going to follow the Holy Spirit wherever he tells you. There's going to be seasons God says, I really want more of you right now. And I have so much I want to teach you and reveal to you. And you're going to go on a mountaintop at a men's retreat or a women's retreat or every time Matt preaches or something like that. And and God's going to move and it's going to be powerful. He's like, man, this was just for me. But then he's going to send you off the mountain down to the valley to live and to serve and to go through some stuff. And it's okay because he's going to follow you and he's going to be your fulcrum. Are you with me? And when you learn to walk in step with God, this happens over and over and over again so that you get to sit on your last day on your back porch, sipping your lemonade, holding hands with your honey and saying, aren't you glad we followed God? That's the story we're leaving our kids. Let's pray. God, I love you. God, I wanna know you more. One thing I ask, this this God I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I pray for every man and woman in this room who's hearing this message, whether they're in the last chapter of their life or the first chapter of their life, I pray right now in the power of Jesus Christ and his name, the Holy Spirit you've made to dwell in us, that we would seek after you, live for you, hear from you, and make whatever changes or adjustments need to be made that we could walk in step with you. God, give us the courage to face our fears. Give us the boldness to take action. And God, give us the fruit that comes from a life well-lived. In Jesus' name, we all pray, amen.